Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. I am your host, Tamala Shaw. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Phyllis Levitt. Welcome to the show, Phyllis. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's just a pleasure and an honor to be with you. Ah, thank you so much. We uh, tell everyone, uh, you know, this is the the normal thing we met on Podmatch. (laughs) It's been (laughs) so wonderful. We both were saying how we've met such wonderful people using that tool, and I'm so very grateful for them. Um, but today we are going to talk a little bit about your, well, a lot about your book, um, America in Therapy, but I really want you to give the audience a bit of your background because you've done so much fantastic work in the psycho psychotherapy area, correct? Absolutely. So, yeah, yes. both. I will say this up front, mm-hmm. both as a client and as a therapist, you know, I've been a client myself. I did a lot of work um, as a client. I had a piece in my own childhood that sort of went undistinguished in and kind of in the era that I grew up in, you know, nobody was talking about that and nobody even talked about going to therapy, I think. Um, and by the time I heard about going to therapy, it was sort of like, you don't do that because it's a sign that, you know, there's something really wrong with you. Um, and then by the time I was in my thirties and I, I had three children and I was in a pretty dysfunctional marriage, um, I finally, you know, got to sort of the breaking point where I really needed to uh, find out what was going on inside of me that had seemed so mysterious and had left me feeling like such a flawed human being and, and sort of unable to really manifest in life what I knew was inside me. I knew there was more inside me than I was able to bring into the world. Um, And so I went to therapy and then, and that was sort of a big game changer for me. I, you know, and again, I think some of, some of what I'm going to say is common knowledge today, but it wasn't common knowledge to me. I went to the library immediately and got out a book on psychology. And the first thing I read was how much our childhood influences the rest of our life. And I had no concept of that before, honestly. And I had never heard anybody talk about it. I just thought, well, I had an okay childhood, you know, whatever. Um, And so it was a game changer for me. And, you know, I'll just sort of give you like some big ahas that came. So I did a lot of healing work um, and it was not easy. It was, you know, I sort of went down into the darkness and came back up. and, um, And I'm grateful for that. Because I really know it's possible. I know that we can make our way through the darkness if we have safe people to kind of hold our hand through that process and guide us. And um, and that's part probably the reason why I became a therapist, because I really wanted to be that person for other people. Um, and, you know, as imperfectly as we all are, none of us do it exactly right, but we we do our best. And and then my big aha, I had two big ahas that really led to the writing of this book. Um, and the first big aha was that 
if I was so affected by what happened to me in my childhood, then there are millions of people who are equally traumatized and a mystery to themselves. They don't know why they react the way they do. They don't know why they can't be the person that they feel they are inside. They don't know why they have maybe um, attractions to situations and people that aren't healthy for them and then can't get out of them. Um, or why they're enraged or why they're addicted or why they're anxious or why they're obsessed or why they can't parent well, or they can't find a good partner. I mean, there's so many symptoms that we have from unhealed trauma of whatever kind. And so I realized that not, not only was I not alone, but there's millions of people in the world who have no access to help. Mm. They have no, they can't, they don't know what's going on for them and they have no access to finding out or getting any healing. Many of whom, as we know today, are still in the traumatic situations. They're in wars, they're living in poverty, they're living with discrimination, they're in an unfair justice system, they're, there's gender bias, there's whatever that people are suffering from with major trauma major, major trauma in the United States and all over the world. So that was that was the big aha. And then the second one was having studied family systems and working with families and doing family therapy and realizing how important family therapy was because the conditioning comes out of the family. Yeah. So whether you're working with an individual or you're working with a couple or you're working with the family, um, we are all really influenced by the values, the practices, the belief systems, the role models of the family systems we live in, whether it's our family of origin or what's going on in our community or the school system or the family of our business or the family of our government. And I call it the family of America. So the top up is the government. How does government respond to the needs of the people, the family members of the people in the family of America? Are the practices and policies coming from government? Are they what we would consider good family dynamics? Are they discriminatory? Are they abusive? Are they withholding? Um, are they unjust? And of course, when we look at that, we know that there's a lot that fix, fits that picture. So the basic of my book was taking the family therapy model and applying it to our country and looking at the microcosm of us individually and the macrocosm of how we operate as a nation. Oh, that was a lot. <laughs> no, I have to say, I don't think that I've had anyone or even myself even think about it on that level. Mm. Because like you said, it's, it starts from the top down where, you know, if I think about the top down, I'm thinking about in my family structure, not in America, right? right. And it's and both. Absolutely. It is both. both. Right. It absolutely is both. Oh my goodness. So I have to say like one of the big things that you said that kind of stuck out for me is that when you were in your thirties, that you knew that there was more inside of you. Yeah. I can tell you there are so many people that I speak to that completely feel the same way. I mean, I, I probably 90%, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you feel like you're not, you don't quite, you're not at that level of where you should be, or do you have what it takes to get where you want to be? Yeah. So to look well, at in yourself, do you have confidence? Right. Have you 
good feedback about your gifts and your strengths and your talents? Mm -hmm. Have you gotten encouragement? Have you gotten support? Right. A lot of people don't get any of it. Right. And, and, you know, and not only don't get it in its present, but didn't get it when they were growing up, which is where the doubt comes from. Right. So that's just, I, oh, I just, it, 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 it makes me sad. <laughs> it makes me very sad because, you know, we don't realize that just a tiny bit of doubt that we may have dropped in our childhood, we truly, truly take it into our adulthood with us, right? If we don't know or it hasn't been healed. Absolutely. And one of the one of the beautiful things about psychotherapy, and that's why I'm so grateful to have learned about psychotherapy and psychology and can look through that lens, is that those things that we were told or had role modeled for us that were negative, like we're not worthy or we're not good enough or we're not smart enough or we're not pretty enough or we're not something enough, mm -hmm. um, not deserving enough, whatever it is, we take on as the truth but it's not true. It's just what we were told. And the best psychology and the best psychotherapy unravels that whole negative belief structure that we've taken on to reveal our beautiful essence. And every person has a beautiful essence. Every person, every baby that was born into this world is an exquisite human being with a loving heart. And to the extent that we're not loving, we were deprived of love. Mm. Oh, breathe that in to let people know mm -hmm. probably something that was placed. If the, if it's not already, if it's not there, that's why. That's why, you know, the, the, I think, you know, the biggest and simplest, although most profound lesson I've learned as a psychotherapist is that every dysfunctional behavior, barring that a person maybe has some you know, a right. physiological or biological disorder. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about that. Sure. Um, every major dysfunction in human behavior comes from an injury to love or a lack of love. Sheesh. Love mm -hmm. is love is the best food for human beings. Yes. It's the best food for human beings. Love is the best food for human beings. Yes. So I know, uh, so I was reading your bio and in it, it was a couple of things that I absolutely love that you had in there. Um, you said you want to teach people how to heal the hatred, um, interrupt the cycle of violence, reversal of certain beliefs, like those negative beliefs, right. um, restore safety that like all, oh my goodness, because of course, we may be, we may have those things on the inside and we don't really identify it. You know, I didn't realize that I didn't feel safe until I wrote my book and it happened to come out, you know, as I was writing. Wow. I realized that I had safety issues. I always thought it was abandonment issues because, um, because of me and my biological father. But at that moment, I realized I had safety issues. I didn't mm -hmm. truly feel safe. Um, so I, I love that you talk about healing those things. So just, I know that you've probably put those things in the book, but for the audience, it's, name some examples of things that people can do to reverse some of those beliefs and feelings. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's a complex picture, but the very best thing that a person can do is find some place that is safe, 
one safe person, mm. one safe place, one safe environment, um, and keep looking for that. Because part of what happens for us, and I, I mentioned this briefly, and I experienced this in my own life, was I wasn't attracted to safe people. Mm. Uh, because the imprint was the people that one person that I depended on actually wasn't safe for me. And that's the imprint that you keep trying to get love and safety and acceptance and validation from the person that hurt you. And that's actually part of codependency. You know, that you keep looking for that kind of validation and safety and affirmation and belonging and whatever from the kind of person that already injured you. And I did that in my first marriage. Um, and fortunately, and I, it's interesting, I'll just mention this because of the name of your podcast, um, right toward the end of before I left my first husband was when all the stuff about codependency came out and John Bradshaw was publishing all of his his findings on on codependency. And that became a title, you know, a word that we we right. started. Mm -hmm. And that actually helped me leave my mm -hmm. marriage um, because I realized that I kept looking in the wrong place for what I needed. Um, and so so. Yeah. So what can we do? So, so part of that was recognizing that helped me leave, you know, help me leave and stop looking for love in a place where the well was dry. The well was dry. And so many of us are still doing that. And if I can jump out to, uh, you know, like looking at the country, so many of us who are deprived of what we really need as individuals have no choice but to keep depending on institutions and people in power who are not going to give them what they need. And that is causing massive trauma and suffering in our country mm -hmm. that is going to keep having a ripple effect because so, so let me do, I'll just backtrack because I have, you know, way more than I could say that could probably fill this space. But um, I think it's really important to have compassion for our symptoms I didn't have any compassion for my symptoms when I was young. I really was very critical and judgmental of myself. Why can't you make a happy marriage? Why aren't your kids happier? Why haven't you blah, 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 blah. You know, why don't you, you know, and all of that came out of really like the pain that was left in my being from having been hurt. Um, and so, and so I needed some kind of healing to start to develop that compassion and to the extent that we can develop that compassion for our own wounding and our own hurt at human hands, we can then have it for others. And so many people who don't have compassion for others really don't have any compassion for themselves either. And they're acting it out by projecting their criticism and their blame and their negative judgments onto whoever they can so that they don't feel it themselves. And that's one of the legacies of abuse and trauma in our society that's rampant. And when you have people like that who get into positions of power, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. And we have a lot of people like that in our country and around the world today. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, it's on a, on a bigger scale, of course, that's where we're looking because who thinks about what trauma our congressman, our, you know, yeah. president, our, you know, whatever has gone through 
that can affect the different choices, the different rulings, the different signatures that happen. Absolutely. You know, I was just listening to a fabulous um, interview between, I guess, I don't know who was interviewing who, but it was Marianne Williamson talking to Gabor Mate. And Mm -hmm. Gabor Mate is, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a, he's a very, I think he's actually a doctor. I'm not sure, but he's very psychologically trained in Mm -hmm. any case. And they were talking about trauma and they were talking about the effects of trauma on these larger scales. And one of the things that they were identifying, which I talk about in my way in my book, is that when you have masses of people who have been overpowered and they're devastated and they don't really have, they don't have a sense of personal power, they're very prone to identifying with someone who is like a bully. It's like the kids who gather around the bully on the playground are often kids who don't feel like they have any power or validation themselves, and they get it from identifying with the person they think is the strongest and the least vulnerable because they feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a bully in a position of power in the government who will actually enroll a lot of people who don't feel like they have personal power in their own lives. And these are mental health issues. Mm. Why are we having a society so full of people who are either feeling powerless and um, afraid and marginalized and like they don't matter? Mm. Why do we have so many people like that who feel helpless to get their needs met, who will then identify with the strong man or coming out of the same abusive, neglectful system, whether it's in their home or in their community or in their state or in their country, who identify with the aggressor and become the aggressor. Mm. And these are the two trends that I see so powerfully playing out in our country. And they're dangerous. Yeah, This is the cycle of abuse that we need to interrupt on a national level. And the only way we're going to do that is to bring psychology and and love and care and and I'm going to say this really really loud peaceful conflict resolution skills into government. Peaceful we cannot resolution. Say it again. My goodness. Yes. Peaceful conflict resolution skills that we demand that our leaders settle their disagreements peacefully and with respect and with deep listening to their differences, exactly the way we all want to be heard in our homes, right? The way we want to be heard by our partners or our parents or our boss or our colleagues or our friends. We all want to be heard and respected for our differences and our sameness um, by others And we haven't learned how to give that. We just want it for ourselves, but we haven't learned how to give it to others. And so we have these role models in the highest levels of government that are disrespectful, that are abusive, that are blaming, that are shaming, and that are inciting violence. And these are the role models our children are seeing. These are the role models the most disaffected are seeing. And guess what? We have massive mass shootings as just the tip Mm -hmm. of that iceberg just the tip of the iceberg Mm -hmm. it's funny that you said the same way that we do in our homes when 
they call it the White House. They call it the House of Representatives. Yeah, that's right. It's still the homes. So it should still, you know, it it should be looked at that way, right? Because it is the house. (laughs) So that's right. And I know that probably to those that are on, that are listening, that feels very big. It's like, well, what can I do? That's that's so far ahead of me. That's so far above me. But that's what you're talking about, the top down. But how do those that are listening, what do they do? Well, yeah. And you know what? I have a whole section in my... So in the, the second half of my book is really like, what do we do? What are okay. the healing principles? And I'm, I want to tell you a quick story mm-hmm. because really our own healing is the foundation for what we can do right? So I talk about this person in my book. I had a client who was, um, had, was a only child of a single mom and a very depressed single mom. And so she was a very isolated kind of lonely kid who never felt like she fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, she always was sort of like the one left out at school and she, she was depressed and lonely herself. And she grew up, she got married, she got divorced and she had a one child herself which was very interesting. And and when she got divorced, she got a job as the manager of a small office, I guess, whatever skill she had. Mm-hmm. And a woman came to work for her who was very insecure and she couldn't stand her. And she, so this all, this all came out in the therapy. This isn't why she came to therapy. She came to therapy because she was depressed. Um, but as she went into her childhood wound of feeling so lonely and abandoned and like a misfit herself, she suddenly realized how she had treated this woman who worked for her, that she had been mean to her, that she left her out, that she passed over her for promotions or praise, um, And she realized that she had projected her wounded self onto this woman and made her other and treated her really meanly. Mm. And she felt great remorse until she actually did that work to heal her own wounding. She didn't even think about this woman. She was just like, Oh, I just didn't like her. And I'm so glad she left. Right. And then once she did her own healing, she felt great empathy for this woman and felt really badly that she had treated her that way. And so, so one of the principles is inside of us, inside the victim in us is also the victimizer. Mm-hmm. And there are two sides of the same coin. The victimizers in our society are also victims, untreated victims. And when they are, have access to enormous amount of power, they're dangerous. Um, and and we're dangerous to the extent that we can be manipulated and controlled because of our victimization. And I don't mean dangerous in a sense of blame. I mean it in a sense of like, this is the cycle we need to stop. So what can a person do? A person can do their own healing work. And that doesn't mean if you can do therapy, great. If you have access to therapy or you have insurance or you have a plan, great. Many people don't. But there are hotlines, there are community resources, there are groups, there are support groups for sexual abuse, for physical abuse, for domestic violence, for addiction. There's all kinds of support out there that doesn't cost money. So 
you know, so one of the things is to face our, our fears and face our shame and face our self-blame and face our self-criticism and know that whatever the pain is that you suffer, whatever the dysfunction is that you're criticizing in yourself or feel badly about in yourself, you came by honestly and you deserve help. So <laughs> the biggest access to safety is finding safe people. And of course, I know that not everybody has access to that, but then it's our responsibility as Americans, as a community to provide that for other people, to vote for those who want to, you know, restore justice to the criminal justice system, to vote for those who actually really want to help people in need, um, who are economically suffering um, and who are held down by the system that they're in. Um, so, so what can I do in my own life? I'm going to come back to that. So one of them is reach out for help and don't be ashamed because it actually takes courage to reach out for help. It's not a sign of weakness. As many of us have been taught, it takes courage. It takes strength and it takes perseverance. What else can we do? We can become responsible for our own behavior. So if I know that I spoke sharply to you, I can apologize. I can tell you I'm sorry. I can try to do better. One of the most wonderful things, if you've ever had this in your life, I'll say this. If you've ever had anybody make amends to you, just say, you know, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that. It is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. We can be that for each other. And let me tell you, I think it's one of the hardest things for human beings to do is to actually apologize and say they're sorry for their own behavior. We all can talk about what other people did to mm -hmm. us. And sometimes we have to, you know, right. it's important to be able to say what was done to us if it was cruel or abusive or unkind or unjust. It's important, but it's also important to own the places where we've hurt others. Yes. This is an incredible contribution to society even if you're just doing it with your spouse or your child or your friend or your coworker, because there's a ripple effect from taking responsibility. It's a role model. It's a gift. It's a different energy. It's a healing energy that, and so just like hate ripples out and violence ripples out, self-responsibility and loving, caring behavior ripples out too. And we can all do that. I love and, that you said it's a gift. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. No, no, no. Please interrupt me. <laughs> I love that you said it's a gift and it's not only a gift for the person that you're making amends to. It's really a gift for you. It There's is. such a, it's such a level of maturity um, when you can really just say, I'm sorry, yeah. name why you're sorry. Let that person know I did not mean to hurt you. That is yeah. really, really big. Yes, I agree. And it can be really hard to do. I mean, it can be really hard to do. It's like, so sort of like you have to swallow your pride or, you know, because we just all, I think we just all, whether it's by role model or by nature or whatever, we just want to focus on what everybody else did, you know? It's and true. so if we took that principle and we took it to our country, and I talk about this in my book too, like, what if we just took responsibility for our history, for our history toward Black people, toward Native American people, toward women, toward marginalized communities, toward different, you know, minority religions, 
what if we actually took responsibility as a country for the the terrible things that we've done, as well as we can celebrate the great things we've done. Of course, that's easy. The hard part is saying, you know what? We were wrong. We did horrible things to innocent people. We'd have a different country today. Yes, 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 yes. It's not outside the realm of possibility. I don't know how many of your listeners know, but I was just talking the other day to someone who's of German descent. And he was telling me that in Germany, and I had heard this before, but he was reiterating what I had heard. In Germany, they teach the students about what happened in the Holocaust because they don't want to ever repeat it. They own it as a country. And that is a role model we need to have in our country. That's really good. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's amazing if a parent can own that, you know, I'm really sorry I was an alcoholic and I abused you or I abandoned you or I neglected you and I want to make amends. We can do that as a country. Mm -hmm. Can it's that, like you said, it's healing from the top down, healing dysfunction from the top down. I love that. And I want the, I really want the audience to know, because we already know this book is going to be phenomenal. It's not quite, it's not out just yet. It will be out in July, correct? Right. July of 2024. Right. Yes. Um, and you can definitely pre-order her book. Will you give them the website, please? Yeah, it's just my name. It's Phyllis, www.phyllislevitt.com. And I'll spell it because there's more than one way to spell both of those names. So it's P-H-Y-L-L-I-S and Levitt is L-E-A-V-I-T-T.com. And you can pre-order the book and hopefully... Um, you know, I will have some copies earlier to disseminate to anyone who may be requested of me. You can go on my website, sign in with your email, get on my email list, and, and you can just contact me directly with anything you want to ask. That's wonderful. And I know that you are uh, you are now retired, so it's not like they can get any sessions with you at this point, no. No. <laughs> unfortunately. But, you know, she has wonderful books out. You do speaking engagements, right? And then, of course, podcasts. Right. <laughs> so we right. are so grateful for that. Um, this is just, has it's been so very good. Um, we did, I did have, I had one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I want to talk to the audience about understanding family dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. If you could talk about that for me, please. Well, yeah. If I, I mean, I like half of my book is about what happens, what, what are these family dynamics that we're trying to heal? So I'll give you a taste of what that is. So, you know, in a health, I'll say really quickly, a healthy family, and then I'll give a little bit more detail about a not healthy family, because that's what we're really focused on is how to heal the not healthy family of America and the not healthy family that we might've come from. Um, So in a healthy family, basically, and nobody's perfect. None of us do parenting perfectly or partnering perfectly. We don't, but in a healthy family, people really try to heal whatever the ruptures are, they come back together, they talk, they try to work it out, they try their best to listen, and they try their best to make amends and do things differently. A healthy family takes care of every family member. They don't 
starve one child and feed another. They don't want send one kid to college and put the other one to work when they're 14. They don't do that. Um, so in a, in an abusive family or in a dysfunctional family. So, so in a healthy family, there's love, there's acceptance, there's celebration of our diversity and our different strengths. There's good boundaries. You know, we teach each other, our kids, where one person ends and another begins. And I'll just reiterate. And again, there's other qualities, but I'm I'm trying to go fast here. The big one is peaceful conflict resolution. We don't hit each other. We don't beat each other. We don't scream obscenities at each other. We don't lock people out of the house. We really try to work things out the best we can. Do, do we sometimes yell and scream? Yeah, we probably all do. Um, but we come back to the table. And we make it right. Yes. And that's, that's the best that I think we can get because we're all human and we're all fallible. We, and fall, we, we all fall short at some point, but hopefully when you, do, you get up and you apologize and you, you right. know, learn, right. but you, when you know better, you do better. Right. Because we get angry and we get hurt and we get scared and we get whatever we do. And the, the thing is to come back to the table and repair what has been ruptured or what has been hurt. So in a dysfunctional family, and I'm going to really talk about an abusive family, because I think you're going to be able to see, as I name some of these dynamics, how much these dynamics are going on in our country today toward masses of people. So if you have an abuse of an adult in a family, adult in a family, one of the things that they do is justify the abuse I beat you because you talked back, because you got a bad grade in school, because you were late, because whatever. So they justify their cruel behavior toward others by blaming their victims. So abusive people blame their victims. And in our country, we blame some of our victims. We blame the poor. We blame criminals rather than looking to see what deprivation and abuse and neglect might have driven them to a criminal path, right? We talk about the poor as entitled rather than people who are suffering from an unjust economic system that that they can't get ahead in no matter how hard they try. Um, so abusers blame their victims and then they blame them for their symptoms. Mm. So, you know, how many times have you heard the story um, from someone, you know, my, my father beat me and then he beat me because I cried. Well, we cry when we're hurt. We have symptoms when we're hurt. People have very severe symptoms from maltreatment by other human beings. And we've named many of them, you know, addiction, rage, um, acting out, um, failure to thrive, you know, inability to function in society, we have all kinds of symptoms of abuse that we have to understand, just like the body. If you're sick, if you're injured, your body is going to tell you by having pain, by having inflammation, by having a seizure, by having a stroke. Um, it's telling you something is wrong. And our most destructive behaviors our most disturbed behaviors in our population, the mass shooters, for instance, those who really exploit the poor, um, these are people who are symptomatic of the ills of their homes and their society. And we have to know that. 
Because in the world of psychology, we do know that. We know that the most symptomatic family member is the one calling for help for the family, for the family dysfunction. And I could tell you lots of stories, but I probably don't have time. Um, one of the other main dynamics in an abusive family is if one person has the courage to go for help and speak the truth outside the family home, they're targeted for further abuse. Sometimes they're killed. Oh, my goodness. And we do that all the time in our country. We target the the truth tellers. We go after the journalists. We go after the people who are marching peacefully for human rights, for women's rights, for for any kind of human rights. Um, this is what we do. These are all abuse dynamics being perpetrated from the top down. So the the, the relationship between the bottom up, what's happening in our homes, and I can tell you from my my solo experience as a psychotherapist of over 30 years, the level of abuse, emotional, mental, physical, and sexual abuse and neglect in America is rampant. It's high. Mm -hmm. People are struggling to survive and to thrive and to take care of themselves and their families the best they can with deep injury to their psyches. And we have to know this. Yeah. So those are some of the, those are only some of the dynamics, but that gives you a taste of what I talk about in my book that really um, shows the relationship between the microcosm and the macrocosm. And that uh, we have, yeah. This has been so wonderful. I was leaned in. I almost forgot I was interviewing and just <laughs> <laughs> forgot we had this together. I was just listening. <laughs> this is so, this is so, so good. I mean, it's thinking about things on just a total different level um about bringing the whole country into therapy hello <laughs> it needs to happen right and one of the ways that i talk about it is what if we had facilitators in congress that actually moderated the discussions between the left and the right that mm. that that had ground rules that you can't walk out that you can't filibuster that you actually have to listen with respect um, the way that you want to be heard instead of role modeling these very immature childish power struggles. These are the role models for our country of how you deal with conflict. Yeah. This is very sad for our country. Very sad. I'm very excited to read America in Therapy because you. you have taken things to another level of thought. It gives us a higher thought process, right? How to think about things when we see uh, people on CNN, people on, um, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. all these different places. Um, and I, I honor you for bringing that to the forefront, right? You've done a lot of, like I said, in the very beginning, you've done some really, really good work. Um, even when it, we talked about you um, being in the program, Parents United, about uh, sexual abuse and, you know, you've done a lot. So, um, you've seen a lot, right? A lot. I've seen a lot. So and I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful for that because so often we just assume what other people's lives are like and we really don't know. Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, I ask all of my guests before we end the show, if you could tell the audience one thing, what would that be? 
Oh gosh, I, I hate that question because <laughs> I have like 8,000 things to tell okay. people. But um, if there was one thing I would say, um, you know, you are a beautiful human being. You were born a beautiful human being. Your essence is beautiful to the extent that you don't feel that way or you're not treated that way. You don't deserve that. And I really encourage people to get help, to seek out and stay with people who are kind and loving and supportive of you um, and who honor your gifts and encourage them. So that would be my one thing for today. That's fantastic. And, you know, like you said earlier, you know, we, we may not be able to feel as though we can make a difference on a very high level, but if you can just make a difference with you, that's right. It's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. Right. Ah, it's honestly the reason that I named codependent me, codependent me. And it's because healing codependency starts with me. That's right. It starts with me. So I love that. And I thank you so much for being on the show. This has been wonderful. Thank you. And let me just repeat your words. Healing our country starts with me too. Right. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so audience, I want to thank you. Oh, you are more than welcome. And and again, you know, as I said earlier, we'll have you back in July when the book is is launched and and published. Cause I'm, again, I'm so very excited. Well, thank you so, so much. You are fabulous. Um, it really has been such an honor and a pleasure to meet you and to talk with you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. I appreciate you. Okay, audience, I'm going to tell you again, as I always do, I completely know that you can listen to any podcast, but you chose this one and I thank you. And I want to tell you that you matter and your story matters. And until next time, goodbye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time, so thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me, and check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.